you realize this episode is going to be going up the week of Mother's Day, right? Oh my god, that's perfect. <laughs> That couldn't be more perfect. Why didn't they release this movie on Mother's Day? I don't, somebody at A24 needs to get fired over that one, because this is like the perfect Mother's Day movie. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 305 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of the Matinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. One of the things I love about podcasting is the way it allows us to connect. It's something about the voice, I think. You gain not just a familiarity with someone's thoughts, but also their inflections, their cadence, their joys, their frustrations. You gain, I believe, an intimacy with the people you listen to. And to that end, someone I am glad I've gained a closer connection with is today's guest. His humor, his intelligence, his vulnerability have long been qualities I've admired and reasons that I keep tuning into his work. He is a podcasting legend, whether he's on the air or in the producer's chair, it is direct from the Second City and the Director's Club podcast. Jim Laskowski is here. How are you, brother? Oh my gosh, I am honored to be back on your delightful show, and that is quite the intro. Thank you for those kind words. And I mean, you know, people I feel the all, same. I feel the same way. Oh, you're you're too kind. Well, I mean, the, you know what's what's interesting is like we were we were having a conversation off air about how much do we both feel like we're going to keep doing this? And, and that's, that's, that's an interesting thing. It's like you put something out into the world, you put so much of yourself out into the world, who knows how much of it you're going to keep on running with or how long. But I still believe that the fact that it was ever done in the first place um, is a good thing. And that it, it, it brought you closer to a lot of other people who you may not have otherwise been able to affect, but you did with your voice. And I mean, you here, not necessarily me. So Good on you. I'm oh, no, you, 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 you certainly have. And that's the thing, too, is like even even podcasters that aren't frequently podcasting anymore, you know, uh, guys like, the you know, from Cinecast. Oh, yeah. I, I still keep in touch with them. I still yep. touch base with them. I still want to know what movies they're seeing or I follow them on Letterboxd or whatever. Just what their and lives that, are like, you know, like how, yeah. how is, are, are they safe? Are they doing well? Are they happy? Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a type of friendship that kind of uh, evolves from being like a regular subscriber to a podcast exactly. you know it's it's a different kind of friendship it's not where you're going out and having coffee and having in face face-to-face conversations but there is like you said an, an intimacy involved and uh, i'm kind of grateful for that because i've always been a listener more than an avid talker i just like to same. listen to people tell stories and that's yeah hard same thank god thank god for podcasts <laughs> on that note on episode 305 we're not going to be doing um know your enemy because we have a humdinger of a movie to talk about today and i want to give it time um and i don't also want to be here all day so we are going to go straight to the new slang for episode 305 the new slang is bo is afraid O is Afraid is written and directed by Ari Aster. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, Amy Ryan, Nathan Lane, Parker Posey, and Patti Lapone. O is Afraid is about Bo Wasserman, an anxiety-riddled, down-on-his-luck loner played by Joaquin Phoenix. As the film begins, Bo is getting ready to visit his mother, a wildly successful businesswoman he has a com- complicated relationship with. However, he doesn't make it. And, well, neither does his mom. Bo needs to get home. 
But getting home is about climbing out of Alice's rabbit hole. Things get curiouser and curiouser as Bo tries to get home. That's telling you a lot about the film while at the same time not telling you a damned thing. In reality, it is very hard to know where to begin with Bo is Afraid, so let's start there. Pop quiz, Hotshot. Where does one begin with Bo is Afraid? It was interesting to hear you mention Alice in Wonderland, and I certainly think of things like the Odyssey or even... Well, what is Dorothy trying to do in Wizard of Oz? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's no place like home, but this is the subversion of that, you might say, where <laughs> mm, I don't know if I, w- I would want to go back to this particular home. Yeah. Uh, and, well, it is it is hard to, to, to dissect this movie because there's a lot going on. And sometimes I wonder if, if some directors are a little too ambitious with their vision to a fault. You know, or, or their ideas kind of overwhelm the story to where I don't know. I, I I sometimes I mean again, like my mind has been drifting into thinking that there are some artists, maybe even Charlie Kaufman is one of them, that might be better suited to the world of the limited miniseries mm-hmm. because it is really hard to just encapsulate everything and all your ideas even in the span of three hours, (laughs) you know? And uh, again, like I, I am applauding Ari Aster for taking risks and, and, and being weird for, for a purpose, not just to be weird. He's doing it for a purpose. Like you might say, I am afraid of something. Um, A24 is a studio I love because again, they are taking risks and giving filmmakers like Ari Aster the ability to reach an audience Mm -hmm. with something strikingly unique and often challenging and dreamlike. But I wonder if it's possible to get burnt out on the A24 uh, weirdness and just like what they tend to put out since both this and recently um, Alex Garland's men Mm. to me kind of border on, I don't want to say parody, but they're just maybe going a a little too far with ambiguity or not spelling things out or just, you know, falling into Lynchian territory in a way that I don't find entirely satisfying. But at the same time, both movies and a lot of movies that I love warrant multiple viewings. And in this case, I am looking forward to seeing this movie again to see if all the pieces fit a little bit better than they are on a first viewing because it's very episodic and some parts worked great for me and other parts I kind of went, Hmm, I don't know if I liked it as much as the other parts. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think, you know, where I begin with this kind of movie is to wonder, to, to, to kind of skip to the end of a conversation that I tend to have with people, which is asking myself, who in the world can I recommend this to? I mean, besides Kurt Hafjord, who in the world (laughs) can I recommend this to? Which is not to say it's bad at all. I'm I'm actually quite happy that you mentioned Charlie Kaufman, because one of the films that immediately jumps to mind uh, with a movie like this is Synecdoche, New York, which is wonderful uh, as a piece of art, 
but as a piece of entertainment, um, as, as something to pass time, as something to amuse, as something to inspire, I'm like, I don't know who I recommend this to. And even when it came out, I remember actually recommending it to one of my coworkers who you know knew me as the movie guy and said, what do I want to see? I said, okay, do you want to try something different? I'm like, you may not like this, but I promise you, you're not going to get bored. So <laughs> try this, see, see how it suits you, and, and, and let's talk about it tomorrow. That was one thing. Right. Like that was, that was one thing of like two hours and something of Synecdoche, New York. This is something that is weirder, darker, bigger, longer. Like this is, this is, you know, Synecdoche writ large, basically right down to the mortality. Um, and that's the thing that I come away from this from is, is this is not some arty little vanguard movie that's only going to play places like the Siskel or here the Lightbox here in Toronto. This is something that is in a multiplex, you know, next to Super Mario Brothers. And it's showing in IMAX. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it in IMAX, which is a very <laughs> strange experience. I bet. Um, and, and that's that's the thing is uh, while I appreciated it and to a an extent we'll get there at the end, liked it, I'm like, I don't I, I now that I have it, I don't know what to do with it. It's like I've just, you know, won a door prize, and the door prize is a taxidermy rhino head, and I live in a <laughs> an apartment that can't possibly hang it on the wall. I, I know to some extent you you like this movie. I do. But I'm <laughs> but? left with questions. But I'm left <laughs> with questions. I often tell people that it's not a bad thing to walk out with questions. Oh yeah. You know, and sometimes those end up being some of my favorite movies like Synecdoche, New York or Mulholland Drive. And I guess maybe on one hand, the trailer set me up for some expectations. And part of me is like, I really got to stop doing this with because, you know, Licorice Pizza was another trailer. I was like, oh, I'm going to love this. And but was afraid. I was like, oh, I I like the energy that's going on in this trailer. This is going to be kind of madcap lunacy. And for the first hour, or you know, maybe even hour 20, it is. It is yeah. got that after hours energy. And it's, uh, you know, a, 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 a beautiful, well, not beautiful, but certainly a chaotic representation of anxiety. And yeah. you know how I feel about mental health portrayals. Mm-hmm. And clearly this character is dealing with an extreme, you know, anxiety disorder to where he can barely function. And a lot of that has probably a lot to do with his mother. And we'll get to that, you know, more in more detail, but still it's just, I feel like a certain point of this movie, it sort of like says, let's, let's take, let's dial it down and let you catch your breath. And that section of the film, I kind of went, Oh, I was enjoying the the wildness, the weirdness, the like, oh, Ari Aster has a crazy sense of humor. And, you know, a lot of people say that, like, they find things funny about Hereditary and Midsummer, and I kind of don't really. Yeah. Um, I I mean, people have been saying that recently. I'm just like, huh, that's interesting. And I even went back and watched Hereditary. And I'm like, no, this is terrifying. I don't know what people are thinking is funny, but this movie really does kind of start out very darkly funny, almost like a curb your enthusiasm yeah. episode, you know, just like all these crazy things keep bad things keep happening to him in a very heightened manner. Yeah. Uh, I think, 
you know, I, I'm right with you. I, I was going into this. There were, you know, there were there were the signposts. There was the signposts of A24, which, you know, nerds like us that might as well be, you know, pre- pre- Motown presents. Um, it, it's uh, there's that. There was Ari Aster, who so far has delivered two bangers uh, right out of the beginning of his feature film career there's joaquin phoenix who makes interesting movies there's you know other you know people in this like like patty lapone who just does all kinds of amazing things with her incredible career um you know even though she's really dialed down in the marketing um and we're not really going to talk about her until we get to a spoiler section because that is 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 its own thing we hear her before we see her going in there's all of this this is what I'm getting myself into. And you even mentioned the trailer and the trailer sells you a bill of goods. That is what it is, but is also very much not. And then it starts coming over you in waves. And it's, it's a three hour movie that's basically broken up into four. Every one of these four pieces is so drastically different. Every one of these four pieces just hits you in such a different way, whether it's, calming sometimes whether it's you know pitch black sometimes whether it's like you said anxiety inducing sometimes but it was it's this all comes together in this one great big bombastic piece that at the one hand is audacious and marvelous and at the other hand is also deeply deeply flawed yeah and a little alienating. Oh yeah. Uh, and I just kind of go, I mean, filmmakers that, you know, from the past are often dubbed like uh, they're clearly they're provocateurs, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they seek to challenge you and make you think, uh, you know, in a, in a way that's kind of, I don't know. Sometimes I, I wonder, is this being spelled out too much? Or is it being too ambiguous and I'm not finding a middle ground that I find satisfying? And then, you know, you have conversations or you listen to other reviews and other people get different things out of it. And you recontextualize what you've just watched. And I appreciate that experience. Like, this is definitely one of those movies where maybe the more I talk about it or the more I hear other people's feelings about it, it'll come together better for me. And, of course, another viewing. But, uh, yeah, I guess... Part of me was like, I really liked the, you know, everything that takes place in his apartment, the phone calls, and then, you know, certainly when things take a turn with, uh, you know, a a very seemingly friendly married couple. (laughs) And, you know, I'm like, this is a little like, I wouldn't say cartoonish, but just my kind of weirdness, my kind of surreality. Uh, and then I don't know if I liked where it went from there. And even, you know, the last act, which we'll get to reminded me a little bit too much of another movie. I love Hmm. Uh, that. It actually took me out just a little bit to where I found the ending to be again, more of a question mark than, uh, uh, you know, even an ellipsis that I was yeah. like, ah, I can't wait to, you know, think about this more. I was just more like, huh? All right. That's the note you want to end on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I I've mentioned a few times on this show over the last several months that there are, um, there are artists in, in, you know, there are filmmakers who producers need to start telling them no. And, <laughs> you know, we forget sometimes like we love to play up, 
the time when movie going was great. Like we love to play up the French new wave and we love to play up new Hollywood and talk about how that was a better time. And films were this and films were that. And we tend to forget that a lot of these movements burn themselves the holy hell out, you know, that Mm -hmm. for every new Hollywood movement, there's a heaven's gate. That was a colossal failure and sunk a studio. There are a lot of filmmakers where that's where I'm at with them. I love their work, love their work. And Ari Aster is one of them, and A24 is one of those studios. But it's at the same time, I'm like, you know, producers, you need to do your job and you need to start telling these white boys, always white boys, no, we are not going to make the three hour movie today. Find a way to bring this to me at two and a half because it's just going to be a better experience. It's going to be something that people are able to come back to more often it's going to be you know not more commercially viable i'm not looking for that but i'm looking to you know as somebody who's married to an editor i'm saying yeah give it one more pass because the core of what you're trying to do is getting lost in all of these ideas you have great ideas but you need to pick the best ideas and run with them and ari aster my hope is that the his next movie is 90 minutes because he's been drifting out and out and out as time goes on with like longer and longer movies this is now his third so my hope is that he comes back with like his punch drunk love you know and just gives comparison because this could be like interpreted as his magnolia it could be yeah very much so and i mean it's it's funny because there's a movie like i i i love the holy hell out of magnolia i cannot remember the last time i watched it end to end you know Mm -hmm. um oh yeah so this is this is the thing is like no disrespect to Ari Aster because I, every film he has made, I have found wickedly affecting in a time where it is hard for me to remember, you know, just because of my age, (laughs) hard to remember like actors sometimes and character names. Sometimes I, you know, it took me 15 minutes the other day to remember what actors playing Spider-Man. Now the answer by the way is Tom Holland. Um, But I am not going to forget anything about, but was afraid. I just don't know when I'm going to go back to it. That's definitely true. And I also, I don't know if it's good or bad to walk out of a movie and kind of go, well, what did that all add up to? What, what was it in the end trying to convey to the audience? I actually don't mind that. I don't don't, mind. I don't mind feeling confused. Yeah. I don't want to feel worn out. And this was really close to wearing me out. Yeah, it kind of did. It kind of did for me. And I I wonder, I do really think that sometimes it makes me think of that Radiohead song, Paranoid Android, and there's a line Tom York sings, ambition makes you look pretty ugly. And I, I, I often wondered, yeah, like some filmmakers really are ambitious and it gets the best of them. And some people even said that about Magnolia when it, when it came out. And I understand why yeah. I just felt hundred percent emotionally connected and engaged and moved by just about everything in that movie. And maybe part of me was like disappointed that I wasn't moved by Bo is afraid, even if that's not what it's ultimately trying to go for is to, you know, emotionally wallop you. But you know it's also a a really uncomfortable movie once you get to you know later in the film knowing what 
potentially like Bo has experienced um, immeasurable manipulation oh, no throughout kidding. his whole life. We don't normally do this on this show, but what we're going to do with this movie is we're actually going to walk through it. Cause it's, as I said, it's, it's in four pieces. So we might as well go piece by piece and we'll get to a spoiler warning when we get to the last piece. Cause the last chapter is the one where things really get wild and where, you know, the spoilers really mm-hmm. come in. So we begin the, the first chapter is Bo's apartment, Bo's neighborhood. And this, I think we can agree is when the film is clicking on all cylinders. Yes. This neighborhood is bananas they throw just the craziest things you could think of. And I mean that word in its very much in its, in its, you know, ugliest manner at him, um, you know, just to get in his own front door, we get an idea of the kind of life this man is living that he's said, well, this is going to have to do, you know, like it, like it's clearly not where he wants to be, but either just what he can afford or what life has dealt him. It's where he is. And that scene is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yep, hundred percent. I I related to this bow that's panicking about a, a trip to see family. Yeah, and I think just about anybody has that experience to where it is quite universal, especially when you involve the holidays and you're just like, oh god, I got to do this, I got to do that, and I got to, you know, confirm the time I'm arriving and like all those things. Yes, create anxiety and that the way this is set up, I was like, Oh, I'm really going to, you know, be on board with how this is going. Uh, and then, yeah, it's like the neighborhood itself. It is, it is like (laughs) after hours on meth or something, it's just like so intense and so insane. It's such an exaggerate. I mean, that's the thing too. People bring up is, is it re is this movie essentially all from Bo's point of view? Like we're watching the world through his eyes and everything is going to be hyper real. And, you know, just, you know, even his encounter with a police officer at one point, it's just like that. I I don't know how realistic that would be, you know, to, for, to have that kind of reaction, but you know, it's, it's still well i mean listen for 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 some people that is quite real right like it's not necessarily bo's reality or your my your reality or mine but there's a lot of people in this world in your country in my country where that is their reality um oh my dear lord yeah that that neighborhood i mean i'm thinking everything from you know the way he's got this this neighbor that thinks that he's the one making noise and just keeps passively aggressively slipping notes under his yep. door and then decides to double down and, and, you know, basically go nuclear with the whole thing. Um, you know, he's got this, this incredible um, painting himself into a corner where he had, like he's lost his keys. And I mean, like, first of all, just in terms of a device to set all of this in motion, Talk about the simplest device, and yet the one that would strike the most fear into everybody's heart of you've lost your keys and, mm-hmm. and you cannot lock your home. In a, like, forget about it in a neighborhood like that. Like that, that's even worse. But just using that device of he turned around and his keys are gone, and now just everything is in chaos from something so simple. You know, um, it, it that that's genius in terms of in terms of this movie. That that as the inciting incident of everything else that's going to come is bloody brilliant. Yeah. And losing your luggage. That's something that everybody is afraid of when they go uh, on a trip. But but I mean, yes, but the thing is, it's just like he, like, you know, losing your keys in a nice neighborhood 
would be shitty. But losing <laughs> your keys there is bloody terrifying. And then the whole thing just spirals, right? Like he's got to get out the door, but he can't get out the door. So he's got to jam the door open. And then that like just lets the chaos in the whole thing. It's like that whole sequence. I think that's why we like it is just, it's put together like a Swiss watch, mm-hmm. you know, he's, yeah. you know, and, and every, everything is, is laid out and then paid off. You know, like when you watch him sprint to his door, when things are modestly more safe when he's he's got to sprint to his door and close it behind like pull it close behind him otherwise one of the people from the neighborhood is going to come in you know so yeah yeah, so seeing that kind of thing and then yeah and then the payoff of all of that being his apartment is taken over he comes back in and it's just it's just destroyed we get the news about his mother then and there which again is one of the most bananas plot beats i've ever seen or heard of yeah and but just the filming of the phone calls the one with his mother and then the one with the uh ups driver yeah um yeah are brilliantly done and it's not about manic energy at that point no it really is the camera is just pretty much on joaquin for an extended period of time very much so and i mean and like you know you talk about acting and, and all of its various facets that's some unbelievable voice acting by both Patty Lapone and who we eventually determine is Bill Hader as the UPS <laughs> guy. Um, you know, Bill Hader, who just, you know, if, if, if the man just has Ugh. so many talents that we just keep learning about as time goes on, um, listening to him he as that is UPS going guy. going to make a great movie. Oh yes, he will. my words. I, I, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Listening to him in that moment of, of, you know, being the person to give the bad news to Bo about his mom. And I, I think like if there's a shining moment of this movie, it's the callback, you yep. know, like we get this moment where he's like, okay, maybe you dialed wrong. Maybe you dialed wrong. Maybe this is not your mom. Maybe this is not anything to do with your life. Maybe that's what happened. Just call your mom again. And hopefully I don't pick up. And then he picks oh. up and like, I don't know about your theater, but my theater, just like you could Busted. feel, yeah, Busted you could hear his heart. Like you could hear hearts breaking of, Oh no. <laughs> oh, it's inc- yeah. that's incredible. But, no, that was like a great communal experience with a crowd. Yeah. That moment. Yeah. And I guess part of me was like, so primed, you know, in a way to like, Oh, when is there going to be more moments like that? Yeah. I, th- I think that's unfair on one hand, because then you almost put, like a certain component of the movie on a pedestal and like, Oh, I want that for the rest of the movie. But well, it's a bit of a promissory know. note, isn't it? Like if you start yeah, your yeah. movie that way to, to turn it into something else is going to be, I mean, we can say that it sort of continues into the next act with, with the Samaritans. It certainly leaves it on the, on the, on the bench when we go yeah. to the commune. Now, so speaking of, so after this whole chaos, Bo gets hit by a car, stark naked, by the way, um, in the middle of the road, he gets, he gets hit by a truck and this, this couple, this married couple played gloriously by Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane, who deserves an award for the way he says, my dude, um, yep. <laughs> take uh, Bo perfect. in and, you know, like nurse him back to health. And okay. So coming off of the neighborhood, the Samaritans is, a wild tonal change. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like we were almost like in Todd Salon's land or something, you know, it was just like, Oh, here we're going to do some like, you know, complicated 
darker version of suburban life and you know here's the friendly couple but there's something sinister going on clearly there is you know they're a little bit fixated on their on preserving the memory of their dead son and who who died in i forget which war but it's probably a recent one <laughs> um, i want to say yeah the, like, i want to say he was in like he it was somewhere it was somewhere obscure like it wasn't afghanistan or iraq it was like caracas yeah it was yeah, it was something, something like, like that. that something yeah and i guess they've also decided to take care of one of his friends who's come back from the war with severe ptsd and a lot of issues and mm-hmm. he acts out in various ways seemingly violent ways at times uh and then the daughter is another big question mark for me is what occurs with like her just being so antagonistic and mean towards Bo, uh for you know him taking over her room and all that stuff and she's just popping pills like candy uh like there's just so much stuff that i kind of went i i let me sit on this and let me figure out what's going on and and it doesn't sort of let up in 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 that sequence but at the same time i was like i'm i am enjoying this and i am finding certain things about it very interesting including you know um uh grace played by amy ryan sits down with him on the couch and then she she tells him to watch the tv Mm -hmm. and that moment is very lynchian i mean it's like right out of lost highway practically but I I don't know what to make of it all. It's almost like he's under constant surveillance, you know, and just like being monitored. I mean, he even has the ankle monitor. Yeah. So I just wonder how much the mom's manipulation is seeping into every aspect. It's an interesting story on its own. If it was a short film of its own of look at this rich white couple who's trying to you know, tend to their own wounds by tending to those of others, you know, like whether it's somebody who gets hurt out in the world or whether it's, you know, somebody who was one of their son's platoon mates who they probably shouldn't be just like letting live in their backyard in his Winnebago. They should probably find him some help because clearly Mm -hmm. they are not helping him. He's a veteran. So for all I know, he may not get any help, but true. The reality of it is, is that this whole idea of the this this couple with white savior complex is is not a bad idea, but coming off of where we've just been is a very very strange turn to take. Yes, you know, including exactly the daughter. I mean, the, the thing is, so like the daughter's going to be messed up. The daughter's lost her brother. The daughter is probably rich and alienated. Um, you know, so she's gonna be very much self-medicating literally um and you know just trying to muscle through until she can leave that place and go to college but it's not represented here either you know literally or for farce yeah and i i i was kind of into it and i and then again it gets really the daughter does something that i'm just like huh wow uh, I mean, that's when it veers into like the Ari Aster of shock and horror and yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere, but it's also very shocking in, in the right way to where you're like, Oh God. Um, yeah, that's tragic. And you know, and every, and my reaction to that moment was, 
what I think he intended it to be. But then again, you know, he has to escape. He has to continue on his very oh brother where art thou like journey into hopefully some sort of self actualization. Because that's kind of what you were hoping for this character, but then again, he subverts that as well. I think that's the tragedy of the Samaritans, is he is already just so raw and so frayed and mm-hmm. so messed up about not just you know the chaos that his neighborhood is, but also this absolute tragedy that has befallen his family, that he's trying to square you know, and, and, and get his life together in a moment where he really, really can't, but then he's dropped into yet another tragedy, not by, you know, not by, not cause he needs to like, you know, it's, it's not the only hospital for a hundred miles. It's these people have decided to fold him in to their own bullshit. And yeah, the daughter, you know, the daughter is kind of the crowning moment of that in, in the worst kind of crown that one could wear. And I mean, even right down to the way she does what she does, you know, like there are tons and tons of ways to do what the daughter decides to do. And that is one of the worst ways to do it. A hundred percent in a way that is guaranteed to affect you. But I oh, yeah. really, I wonder, I wonder about this. And this is like me asking you a question that I'm struggling with, even just having watched rewatched hereditary. I feel like Ari Aster's characters that he writes are solely defined by the trauma they've experienced or the tragedy that they've experienced. I don't get a whole lot of inner life. So far. Or, yeah. yeah I'm, I mean, I just, I don't know how I feel about that on one hand. I mean, I don't necessarily need to know like their whole entire life story, where they've been and what they've done and where they've gone to college or anything, you know, that specific. It's just, all these, all all the movies really do start out with characters experiencing the worst of the worst. Yeah, you know the 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 the, the things that you absolutely don't want to experience, and then you watch them just try to manage themselves, and it's impossible with the level of trauma that they've gone through. And it's just, I don't know. Sometimes I think like, ugh, I, I'm not saying like he's being masochistic or something. Like you know he's doing this for, for pleasure in any way. I mean, he has a certain intention with telling these kinds of stories. Certainly a lot of them are about mental illness and, and trauma uh, to some level and, you know, manipulation and codependence and all sorts of things, but it's just ugh. like all yeah. these movies really make, they do make me feel a lot, you know, like I feel so bad for all these people because they're going through so much. And I, I don't know how much fun that is. I got to believe somebody's asked him this by now. And if not, I really hope somebody does because I feel like it's, it's an important conversation to have with this storyteller is why are we going back to this one place over and over in different ways? Like, you know, all of these stories have something very, very specific in common. Despite the fact that they are drastically different stories, um, but they all have this Mm -hmm. one very emotional thing in common. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's not love. Um, you know, no. I, I, I would love to know, you know, because I'm sure that it's, you know, it's, it's probably something that's affected him in some way or another, or it's a story that he wants to tell. But I'm like, I think you've told it, you know, I, if, if this is going to be your career, while I love your art, I don't know how many times I can come back to this, um, you know, because yeah. that, yeah. that, that's going to get 
trying after a little while. Um, so, yeah, the Samaritans are in in a in a weird way they're worse than his than his neighborhood. His neighborhood is pure chaos, but at the very least, it's you know intense chaos. Like you can see it coming. This is much mm-hmm. more white picket fence sweater wearing j crew chaos which i kind of loathe because it's like it is not what you expect when you walk over that threshold yeah so it sneaks up on you and it's oh yeah. And, yeah yeah it exists i'm sure it, you know yeah. like that's that's sick it does and 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 you know david lynch has made a very good career out of that that's for darn sure we go from the samaritans to i'm gonna call it the commune we go literally into the woods and we find this community summer vibes everybody <laughs> yeah we we find this gathering that. we find the, the, these these people who are living out in the woods putting on shows and okay um <laughs> interesting that in modern society that can happen but all right um and then we watch a show now here's the thing the show is actually really sweet the show is beautiful the show is really artistically done with things like masks and paintings and sometimes it's very very highbrow sometimes it's very very lowbrow and it's lovely but i'm like at a certain point i was like what movie am i in it's a michelle gondry movie I think oh, so. Suddenly. Thank you. That, that's you that, that, I'm like I'm remembering somebody, but I don't know who it is. It, yeah, it, that's that's totally we totally swerve into a totally different film. To be clear, again, did not dislike, but I'm like right. I I don't understand how this puzzle piece fits. Yeah, I found it jarring, but not in a bad way. And I was just kind of like, hmm. I you're you're right in saying like each of these four chapters would make for interesting short films on their own. Absolutely. I really do feel that way now, but I also, hmm, I'm, I'm inclined as somebody who has a background in psychology too, to want to piece them all together in a way that makes coherent sense in, in, you know, creating a narrative. That's what storytellers do. And certainly I, I have no doubt that Ari Aster is working out some, some issues. Well, but uh, this throughout is, all of his movies. This is the thing is, you know, you, you talk about them as short pieces of their own. If, 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 you know, if Ari Aster was to make, was, was to make the afraid series, if he was to make four short films <laughs> out of, out of these four chapters and just call it the afraid series, they would be wonderful altogether. However, as a through line of this one person, you know, tumbling through Wonderland, it doesn't work. You know, that that's the thing is one of them goes and maybe two of them goes or three out of four, but you take these swerves into other places. And it's like, if this was a series of four, that's supposed to be one long story told over four short books. I'd be like, these don't fit. If they were inspired the same way, like if you, you know, if they were spiritual sequels to each other, or they were like his movement mm-hmm. of I'm telling the afraid stories and they all sort of kind of fit together, but not really like there's a, there's a tonal 
uh, through line to them, if not necessarily a narrative through line to all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Let's do this. But yeah, as one narrative thread, I'm like, I don't think this all fits together the way you think it does. No, but I admire his ambition. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing is like, I, I want filmmakers to take chances and do things that are very unexpected because one of the main reasons why I go to the movies is to be surprised mm-hmm. and go, Oh, well that's unexpected. I have, I wasn't expect, I haven't seen something like that before, you know, and on the total flip side though, a, a movie like, are you there? God, it's Margaret is perfect. And I've seen yeah. that type of story done, but it's just perfect in what it is. And here I, I wouldn't say I tuned out a little bit, but it was sort of obvious to me what this animated sequence was trying to express in a very raising Arizona like manner or kind of like just, you know, like the dream, the ending of raising Arizona with the dreams sequence. of him, like, well, this is the kind of life I want to have, or I wish I could have had. And that to me was a little bit too obvious in a way. Uh, Just like, okay. But then you get to like, I guess, you know, the, the, the punchline or the exclamation point, or just the realization that, Oh, of course he can't have this kind of life for the specific reason. Uh, and then it, it veers back into, you know, surreality of just, well, uh, suddenly a violent outburst occurs in, in the middle of all this. And I just go, well, okay, this is getting back to being crazy and wild again after like some serious, just sort of meditative melancholic storytelling that's almost like a kid's book or a pop-up book. And the animation was beautifully done. I will give it that. Like it's visually stunning. It takes some audacity to drop that as your third chapter out of four, instead of being the conclusion. Like you would think that, you know, like that, that's the dream that he wakes up from at the end, you know, like Mm -hmm. to, to put that into the middle and to then go back to the chaos is that's a choice. You know, yeah. I gotta like I gotta admit the one thing I must say is even though we're talking about this film in a we're we're, we're picking at it even though we both like it and we're talking about its audacity, uh, I was never bored, and no. I was ne- I, I I was never thinking holy crap this is long like this movie moves for a three hour movie like I checked my watch a couple times just to be like where are we. You know, because I'm like, I have been in this world for a while and I am lost. Holy crap, I've got like an hour left to go. Um, you know, like like things like that. But I was never sitting there being like, my God, this thing just keeps going. It's it's not like it uses length to its advantage, even though I think it should be shorter. I think it should be shorter because I think, you know, it would do better in a, in a shorter time and it could trim some of these things and go off on a few less tangents, but having this in the middle, having this breath of, you know, um, tempera paint and paper mache and Mm -hmm. fables and biblical stories, um, in, and floods and farms in the middle of just, you know, slum violence and, atrocious self-harm is actually an act of generosity. That's a good way to look at it. I like framing it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's even, you know, I'm, I appreciate, even if I don't necessarily think it works, I do appreciate that it was offered to be because if we did go straight from the Samaritans to where we're going to go in, in a minute in spoiler section, I don't know if I would have made it. Yeah. 
you know? I think that's a good one. Yeah. I, I mean, it just, it just feels like a detour, but it's not necessarily bad either. It's just kind of like you have to reacclimate yourself and just yeah. kind of go. I mean, but people often say that like, you, Oh, you just have to give in, you know, or <laughs> you, certainly with like David Lynch movies. Oh, don't overthink them. Just let them wash over you or whatever. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like I shouldn't be overthinking it while I'm watching the movie. I really should just be fully immersed and not using my, you know, frontal lobe to over process and analyze things in the moment. So I'm one, I, I mean, that's the thing too, is like, I, I could certainly see myself thinking this movie over time and then suddenly go, it'll all click for me or it'll all make sense. But this section in particular, I was just kind of more or less went, well, I get it. You know, I, this, this is the part of the movie. I kind of understand what they're trying to say overall. And it's that's the part, it's the part I'm going to watch more most often than not. I mean, you know, a film yeah. that I probably haven't thought about for five minutes since I watched it, however long ago it's been now, but a, a film that I think about now and then is Noah and the way it turned the creation myth hmm. into a short film within the film. And yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing, that kind of little detour, that that's what I appreciate about this movie that if I'm, you know, skipping around and I happen to come across it, it's like, Oh, it's, it's, they're doing the play. Okay. Well I'll sit for 20 minutes and I'll watch the play, you know, like that kind of thing. Or if I need something just to kill a little bit of time, I'll be like, I'm going to watch the play. You know, I'm not going to watch the rest of the movie because it's just too much, <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll go back to that. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's a strange, it's a strange inclusion that does not really fit with everything else that it does. But at the same time, it's like, it's a gift in the middle of it all. It's, you know, all right, you got a long road behind you and you still got a ways to go. So just tell you what, sit down on the rock for a second. Here's some orange slices and I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. I like that. I, I, it's, it's, it's similar to what Paul Thomas Anderson decides to do in Magnolia. It's like, Oh, let's just have all the characters do a sing along right now. Yes. Yeah. They, this is, you know, this is the wise up moment. Right. That's ex- very yeah. well done. This is the wise up moment. Great. So we are going to ring the spoiler gong now because the final chapter of this movie, uh, really needs to be seen to be believed. Um, so if oh you, uh, you know, I think we're both coming down on the side that this is a movie that is worth your admittedly lengthy time, but at the same time, know thyself, uh, dear listener. And mm-hmm. don't say we didn't warn you. Um, you will remember it. I have promised you that. Um, but, um, we would like you to go see it, uh, not knowing this next part. So, um, we are going to get into spoilers. Uh, we're, we, you know, we're then going to come back later on with a souvenir and a rating. But um, turn back, ye who enter here. It is time to talk spoilers of Bo is Afraid right now. So we eventually get home. Home is this ostentatious house in the middle of this little hamlet community mom is dead uh you know now we can talk about this mom died because a chandelier fell on her head which you talk i mean (laughs) this guy is starting to lead the league in ways that people die that are particularly mothers yeah mothers if you think of hereditary there's a lot of yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) like his therapist is gonna have a field day with this one oh yeah originally when we get there mom is dead he is 
just like weeks late for not weeks. He's, he's actually exactly seven days late for the funeral. He missed the Shiva. They're packing up the Shiva. And at first he's just in this moment. He's finally able to grieve properly. He's just walking through. We've got this ferocious contrast of his mother's life and his own. Like I cannot possibly think of two polar opposites than what he calls home and what she calls home. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And into this walks n- the closest thing he ever had to a childhood sweetheart. This yep. girl who we met earlier uh, on a cruise named Elaine, who is now grown up and played by Parker Posey. <laughs> and in one of the most bizarre, like, I mean, at first it's sweet. At first it's like, you know, they knew each other. For five minutes, thirty years ago, and I don't know—I don't know what this reunion should be. Just pure and simple, you know. Like, yeah. if can you think of meeting somebody who you knew for a few days thirty years ago at your mother's funeral? No, no. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah. just be—it it would be awkward. It'd just be very, so very much and, so, very much so. And you know, on top of everything, like he—he oh. he was. He was the girl who he cherished. And that's its own that's its own tragedy. In a film that is littered with tragedies, that's one of the hardest. You know, that he still remembers this girl who was really sweet to him when he was a boy. You know, to the point where he yep. they, were, kept they were her both picture. separated by mothers. Yeah. Their mothers. Yeah. So here she is. And it should just be pleasant. It should just be, I'm sorry for your loss. This is an Ari Aster movie, so of course it's not. And we start stripping in mom's house. You know, mm-hmm. we start stripping in mom's bed. And there is, I'm sure, just a ton of psychosis that could be applied. Oh, there's so many Freudian levels going. I mean, there's just so Sweet. much of that. Oh. Like, my audience was losing yeah. it in that moment. On well, top a lot of, of that, probably has to do with the song. Choice. Well, there's that. Yeah. There's, yeah. We, we get, we get, we get the song and you know, we get the, we, we get, you know, how, how it plays for him, how it plays for her. And then we get this payoff at the end. And it's just like, are you bloody kidding me? This is where the film really starts to te- stress test the guardrails in this final hour, oh, yeah. because every bananas idea it can really come up with, it throws it into this final hour. Hour. That's the thing. It's a long. We're we're in that house for a long time. I thought that was going to be the Emerald City. I thought once we got there, we were going to be out pretty fast. But no, we stay there for a while. We do. He's had this. He's had this memory, or at least he perceives it as a memory, of almost being drowned. This is where I get confused. And again, maybe I'll think think of it differently. But certainly. Oh, when she takes him up or to the attic yeah, is when like there's half of the audience going WTF and half the audience laughing yep. and me being completely perplexed. Um, I, I, I just don't know if it's all supposed to be metaphorical or if this is supposed to be his reality. And like, she's telling him essentially that's your father. And, there's also a twin of some kind that of Bo in, in the attic. So it's like, this is where 
it lost me to, to where I'm kind of like, I don't know. What, what are you doing? What, what, what are you trying to say by, by yeah. suddenly introducing all of this stuff right yeah. here and now? Yeah. So I, again, I'm questioning it, but I'm also willing to rethink it. Cause like, that's kind of when I, I wouldn't say I turned on it, but I, I went, I don't know. I think that that choice was bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's uh, a choice. You know choice I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's choice. Um it's I mean, okay, so we can play this one of two ways. We can either play this that this guy who grew up without a father was overparented and underdeveloped and just became this not fully formed ball of anxiety from after age 15 onward. Or we can say that he's actually descended from a monster, is one of a, one of twins that was separated, and that's the reason why he's so messed up. And in a way, that's comforting. You know, it, it's it's no, he does not have the wrong chemistry. No, he was not misparented. No, his anxieties are not completely turning his you know system into chaos. He is descended from something mo- literally monstrous. Yeah, I just. I mean, wondered if it was just a metaphorical representation, it's entirely possible. Yeah. Oh no, it is nine to one. I'm not supposed to take that thing literally. <laughs> that 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 just marvelous design of a beast. I, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just, gotta, I, gotta, I, I, I would love. I would love it if Ari Aster intended it to essentially say, "Your father is a dick." You know, <laughs> like that's it. That's it. Like that, leave it there, right there. That's, you ever seen that's uh, what's the uh, what's the John Waters movie where Divine gets on with oh. a lobster? And like the guy who I thought, um, you know, w- was from the Winnebago. I I got confused. The guy from the Winnebago who I thought shot himself with his own gun in the woods. Oh yeah, how was he not back. dead? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's what confused. Um, I was just so confused. <laughs> like, why is he shooting the monster all of a sudden? I don't know. I have I no idea. Know. Multiple Maniacs, by the way, is the movie that we're trying to remember with Divine. Yes. Uh, so so that, that that's in this movie, too. Here's where the talent really comes back in, is all of this would be one thing if it was just, we're going to get to the end of the movie and it's just going to go nuts. But along with the movie getting nuts, we spend a long time with Patty Lapone just Ugh. killing him cut by cut by cut. And she, I mean, Patty Lapone is a bloody legend anyway, but to listen to her talk to her son and shame him and judge him and school him, it is a masterclass. Like, this is the, I watch this thing and I'm like, I want to give you all of the awards, but I don't want to tell anybody why. Yeah, that's a you great know? way to put it. I know, I know, and that's that. It was really hard to listen to that. Yeah, and hear her and words come out. That's the thing is that for all of that bonkers, uh, you know, surrealism that goes on in that attic after a woman gets stripped to death, we've got caught in the middle of this a just master class in manipulation and 
ferocity. And it's it's just that that right there is worth the price of admission. Watching her talk to him, watching her act her ass off, you know, while barely raising her voice, putting it all into her posture, putting it all into mm. just the way she spits out some of those words. That to me was worth three hours, an IMAX screen, and the price of the ticket. That's the Tony Collette hereditary acting. Yes, yes it know? is. And that's absolutely and that's he does that wonderfully throughout his career where it's like, you know, Florence Pugh has incredible moments in, in Midsummer. Um, mm-hmm. And, and certainly Joaquin Phoenix is very good in this movie. I will say that. I mean, it's to me though, it's like, he's done this a lot. He's done this type of ver- of like various versions of this character. Yeah. I mean, but he, he, you know, he did it. He did it to Joker. Story. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and, and- even even to some extent you were never really here. He has a difficult relationship with mm-hmm. his mother. Yeah. You know, there's, there's just like, you could point out bits and pieces from like a lot of his films and say, Oh, they're, they're all related in some way. You know, all, all these but, people are related. Yeah. But where I, where I have to take my hat off to this movie is if you are going to say this movie is just one Freudian lesson after another, by the time you get to the mother, it it can't just you can't just mail that in like you need to no. stick that landing and you know right down from like the first phone call you know the first phone call where she's like well what do you mean you're not getting on the plane it's oh. fine well it's it'll be fine just oh. it's fine you know like, I, like that I won't I, I don't want to get personal but oof <laughs> yeah yeah that that, that, that pass- versions of that have happened sure yeah that passive aggressive you know no it's not fine okay, you know, so we're going to come back to that. It can't just be a mother who's a little bit much. Like, that has Mm -hmm. to be a mother who has affected this person's life. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to screw that up. There's a lot of ways to overplay that. And, you know, on the page, in the direction, and dear God, in performance the character of Mona Wasserman as played by Patty Lapone is it's a, it's a friggin' all time performance. She's killing it. And yeah, I, I it's, it's not a movie that's going to get uh, any awards at the end of the year, but that's, I, that's one right there that should be, it could. Like, that's what a 24 should absolutely. Yeah. They should totally be getting behind Patty Lapone for, for Oscar nomination, because that is an incredible performance. She, you know, along with the fact that she looms large over this movie, by the time she actually shows up, uh, she, she, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm the reason why this happened. You know, I'm the yeah. reason why he is the way he is. And it's, and not in a monstrous way, but in a, in a way that it's like, this all makes sense. Although again, I want to know why she is that way. Like part of me doesn't need a full on explanation. Like, Oh, she was abused and that's why I, but you know, again, like very defined by her villainy, you know, or her, it was her, just, her, I think her evil ways. <laughs> I, I think it was just, it was, you know, it, just with a lot of parents, it was what she thought she was supposed to do. You know, yeah. like that, that's, I think that's the thing with a lot of parents is there's, there's no manual, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of books on this shit, but there's no manual. So you just nope. do what you think you're supposed to do. And, you know, it'll all work out and just, you know, don't, it'll all, it'll all work out in the wash. We, then we get to the, the end, we get to this trial, this weird Kafka-esque boat in the middle of Madison Square Gardens trial. I don't know how I expected this movie to end, but this was not it. 
Number one. No. Okay. No. Number two, I was like, at a certain point, I was like, I kind of feel attacked because I'm watching these people work out their issues and there's an audience that's all like wrapped. I'm like, I feel like you're taking a swipe at me right now that I'm watching this gaining perspective and entertainment from this drama. Oh, you're getting into funny games, Michael Haneke. You know, like they all leave around the time that we all leave. I, that was the that was the moment where I was like, "What are we? What are we? What are we doing? Are we?" I was like, "Maybe that I, rubbed me the wrong way." Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I'm not saying it should have ended with you know Joaquin Phoenix killing his or you know Bo killing his mother. No, but I don't know. Like, I got I got two things or two movies that immediately came to mind as I'm watching it, uh, watching the final act. You know, the way he gets into that boat, Truman Show. Yeah. And then suddenly with the trial, it's Defending Your Life, which is one of yeah. my very favorite movies. And Albert Brooks, you know, he he's a guy who knows anxiety yeah. <laughs> of, of all kinds, uh, including a movie that he made about his, you know, complicated relationship with his mother. So yeah. I have no doubt Ari Aster is a fan of Albert Brooks. Mm-hmm. And, and this trial is you know featuring the great richard kind i Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know if i this is the ending i would have wanted necessarily because i think in the end the very final moment of this movie is basically saying he can't escape his mother the only way he can is if he dies that's it yeah and that's that's such a oh that's such a bummer very dark (laughs) note to leave us on you know i guess part of me expects that from ari aster Part of me was like, I don't know. I kind of liked this idea of being more of a darker comedy, but then it, you know, it veers back and forth between being, you know, dark comedy into pure horror in a way, you know, like not necessarily in the traditional sense, but it's, it's like the things he's going through are horrific. His mother is horrific. And then this is what happens to him. This, ah, you know, it's like, I'm not saying like he should have redemption or, you know, he, he should ultimately have a happy ending, quote unquote. But just the way that ultimately resolves is something, again, that left me with question marks hanging over my head. But and, I like your interpretation of it, the way things are with the audience. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 you know, other movies that I thought of the same way as, I mean, it's, it's the wild thing is if he just gets in that boat and just drifts away, if he just like, you know, sails away in that boat into into you know ending unknown that in itself mm-hmm. is still quite an ending to this tale um i i thought of movies uh at the end of it like i thought of the trial i thought of you know the the anthony sure, perkins definitely. trial um and i thought of uh children of men where uh, you know where where clive yeah. owen gets into that boat at the end and you know sails off into his his own um you know um fate after after having you know gone through something deeply traumatic um it's you know i i shouldn't have been i shouldn't have been surprised because if there's one thing that's that all three of these movies have in common besides their deep fascination with like you know capital g grief uh and trauma is none of these movies have a happy ending like none of these movies not even a happy ending but none of these movies have a calm ending they all slam your head into the wall and then just like walk away as you're trying to pick yourself up. 
all three the of argument, his though, I've heard The argument I've heard, though, I don't know if I've heard it from Ari Aster. And I, I can't remember if it, if it was Florence Pugh who said that the ending of Midsummer is actually a happy ending because of her smile. I mean, they're happy for and somebody. All these endings are happy yeah. for one of the characters, just not necessarily for us. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I just, yeah. I don't know if this is how I wanted the movie to end, but I also don't know how else you end the movie. No, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, yeah. How, like how, I don't know how else you get out of this. Um, yeah. you know, we, we, we always end our matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would, um, Jim Leskowski, what would be your souvenir from Bo was afraid. It's hard to think of like a specific object, but in this case, I want Nathan Lane to be my doctor. Um, I want to just take him and be, I want him to be my regular family practitioner. So he can call me brother or guy or my dude at any point. <laughs> He's just such a likable presence and, and naturally is. funny. Uh, you know, if he was my, I would look forward to going to the doctor. If Nathan Lane yeah. was my doctor, he's warm. So that's, the, you know, I, that's why I want to yeah. yeah, he's got good bedside manner. Um, I want to see more plays by that commune. I want them to be mm. my own personal Max Fisher players and, and, you know, <laughs> like just give me little 20 minute fables into the middle of, of my rougher days. Whether they're my own story or not, I want to, that's what, that's yeah. what I want. I want, you know, Ari Aster, like I, I wish he would make, and he won't, but this is just me wishing. I wish he would make a bunch of short films where they're just plays put on by that commune. <laughs> I would, I would yeah, pay. Like you said, with the, with the, with the, with the Max Fisher players. Yes. We I would totally, to I would totally pay for that. I would absolutely pay for more for more plays by that commune. Um, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Jim Leskowski, I was afraid. Ari Aster, what do you got? On first viewing, I think I'm going to go three. Because okay. uh, I th- part of me was like, I really love two sections of this movie and two other sections. Not so much, but not enough to be like, I'm squarely in the middle to give it two and a half. I think in general, I am pleased to say that even talking it through makes me appreciate it just a little bit more than just being like ho-hum or middle of the road. And this is not a movie you normally would be either, yeah. but I I'm saying three stars right now at this point in time yeah. is a good place. Um, to, I'm going to go a little warmer than you. I'm going to go three and a half. Um, uh, you know, this is, this is audacious. This is, uh, this is just something like, I, I don't, again, I don't think you could do this again. Uh, like him, you know, I, I, for the love of God, your next film, man, make it shorter. Uh, but I, I appreciate the way that he used the form, the way he messed with us, the way he took us in all these weird places and just went for it. This is, this is an incredible film. It doesn't all fit together. That's why I'm, I'm downing it a half. Like it's close to being a masterpiece, but still not. Um, and yet I don't know who in the world I would tell to go see it aside from, Kurt Hafford. Oh no, my my barista at my coffee shop. He has been he has been just <laughs> waiting to talk to me about this for like a week and a half. He loves this movie. I got I can't wait to see him tomorrow morning. Uh, this is for him. There we go. Recommending it for him. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell um, you one thing. I'm not taking my mother to see this. No, movie I'm not. Day. No, no, definitely not. My mother needs to stay far away from this movie. Um, we're not going to do a full other side. I mean, we've kind of actually been knocking around a whole lot of other. 
uh, films that this movie has in common, everything from defending your life to, um, you know, a lot, all the Ari Aster movies we talked about. If you want, by the way, to hear us talk about Ari Aster movies, um, Hereditary was Matinee Cast 201. Midsummer was episode 227. They're going to both be in the show notes. Uh, but what were some other films that you thought of that could go along with Bo is Afraid if, if one were so inclined? Well, one that we didn't mention is what? Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> I know, shocking, right? But guess what? Interesting. Okay. But okay. guess what? A24 uh, put out Under the Silver Lake, and it just feels so appropriate because, I mean, on one hand, when I saw it, I was like, all right, this is David Robert Mitchell's inherent vice. Yeah. Um, but it's still just the constant wandering and uh, like unexpectedness of things, especially once you get to this songwriter producer guy at a piano where I just went, what am I watching? I have no idea what to make of this movie. There's a a lot of surreality and uncertainty about where the story is going. You have a befuddled protagonist who is trying to make sense out of things that are sometimes nonsensical, or he's really trying so hard to piece together, you know, the puzzle that may never be put together. It's just like a, like a mystery that he feels compelled to solve. Uh, and, and it's another movie that overwhelmed me, but gave me a lot to think about. It's like, you know, another labyrinth odyssey, but just like all in, takes place in Los Angeles, which is a weird world in and of itself. Uh, but yeah, no, I just, Under the Silver Lake is a movie I could see why people dislike it as, you know, another divisive movie, but I, I happen to really love it. And it, it sort of captures the same feeling and spirit I, I felt watching uh, Bo is Afraid. It's, I mean, it was, it didn't really get a whole lot of attention. It, it reminds, refresh me if I'm wrong. It, it released to, it released to Prime like in the middle of the pandemic, didn't it? I think so. Yeah. But it's yeah, just, so, it was, it was one of those that showed like Fantastic Fest or a couple yeah, yeah, of festivals yeah. and just didn't come out because I don't know, even A24 was like, I don't know what we're going to do with this thing. Yeah, no, it was you never going to make money. It, it's very, um, it's very long goodbye. Very um, inherent vice is another one. Very Big Lebowski kind of movie. You know those LA stories uh, kind yeah. of movies. Though I love those, I really do. Um, and oddly enough, actually, my my the first one that jumped to my brain with this was a New York story that's similar to that. Um, and we did touch on it earlier, but the first one that jumped to my brain was um, After Hours, the nineteen eighty five. Um, Martin Scorsese, one of these movies that's just one long, crazy night. Uh, you know, there's a lot of movies like that, but just this one guy stumbling through pre Giuliani New York that's just a cacophony of yuppies and artists and druggies. And the whole idea about how after hours has a different set of rules, um, mm-hmm. that, that movie, I mean, I, I think, isn't it finally getting a criterion collection? Did I see that? Thank the Lord. And no. it's finally getting a a 4k release at that. And this is one of my all time favorite movies. Like it, it's right up there in my top 20. I, huh. it's my favorite Scorsese movie. I, I don't, I like, it is really an encapsulation of anxiety. And also if you go out, and hang out in certain neighborhoods in New York. Like I did at one point, you're going to come into some 
you're going to come into contact with some weirdos. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. Um, yeah. And this movie captures, it's like clearly Scorsese knows New York just about better than anybody else. And he really just like, Oh, he, 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 he really, he was going through a lot too while making this movie. And you can tell, you I know? think and, one of the things I like about it as a contrast to Bo is afraid um, mm. is that it arrives in this point in his career where he go he he goes he has these moments now and then he has like he makes these very big very ambitious um you know very prestige pictures over and over and over and over and over and then every once in a while he'll hit a stretch where he just decides i just got to make a few movies you know and i think of something like i think of something like um shutter island you know it's yes. not, he's not, he's not One trying to win favorites. an Oscar. He, yeah. And it's a fantastic movie. He's not trying to win an Oscar. He's not trying to set the box office on fire. He's like, this is an interesting story. I can make a good movie out of this. You know, Hugo is another one of those examples. I can make a good movie mm-hmm. out of this. And in the beginning of his career, like he comes away from stuff like taxi driver in New York, New York, raging bull. And then he just puts together this little wee trilogy of King of comedy after hours and the color of money all under two hours, all, very straightforward. After that, he's going to get very, very big for a very long time. You know, his movies are just going to get long and, and audacious and ambitious and other words that end with us. Um, but in the <laughs> middle of all that, he's got after hours and it's just, it's, it's one crazy night in New York where this guy, where, like I said, you know, rabbit hole, curiouser and curiouser, Alice in Wonderland. And he, he's just trying to get to morning without, you know, getting arrested, getting killed or both. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, and, and it's a, it's a great movie. It's, it, it's kind of underrated in the, in the grand scheme of Scorsese stuff. Did you, did you have another one that you thought of with, with Bo's afraid or, um, did we fire the cannon empty? Well, I think this is probably the most obvious choice possible given the title, but it's Darren Aronofsky's mother, <laughs> uh, especially the, especially yeah. the first hour, because like the way his apartment is invaded totally reminded me of mother, like just the people coming in and destroying their home, invading their home their, their And it's just like, I felt so much anxiety in mother. It was kind of overwhelming. And that see, was another movie that really angered audiences. Like see, at Jim, the end of my screening, somebody yelled F this movie, Jim. This is why I love you, really and truly, because here I've been talking about how this movie needed somebody to pull it back from the edge. And yet, I had forgotten that there was a movie where somebody really didn't pull it back from the edge, and this is the version of that movie that's more restrained. So, (laughs) thank you for reminding me that there was a version of this where nobody told him no, Um, and I say this as somebody who actually, as much as one can, enjoyed Mother. Because that movie is bananas in every yes. way, shape, and form. Um, yeah, yeah, everybody hated that movie. Um, that you know, movie psyched a lot of people out because it's like, oh, look, here's a movie starring Academy Award winner Jennifer Lawrence, and we like Jennifer Lawrence, honey. Come on, let's go watch the Jennifer Lawrence movie. And then it just turns into something, <laughs> just a complete gong show of a movie. Oh my lord. How yeah. did I forget about mother? I mean, oh, you're a genius. Oh, and the, oh God, this, there's a moment involving a baby that I just yeah. can't believe happened. I yeah. just can't believe it. Yeah. No, I, 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 there's a lot of that movie that I just can't believe. And there's a lot of things right. that it sets up that it pays off. Like, I mean, that that's again, what it has in common with 
with Bo's Afraid. Because everything Bo's Afraid sets up, it pays off. Um, Mother does the very same thing. Um, okay, so my other <laughs> other side was, and this is this is a reach, but stay with me. So I thought about 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I'll tell you Ooh, why. Ooh, interesting. I'll, t- I'll tell you why. So in 2001 A Space Odyssey, every time we jump in evolution, somebody or something is waking up, whether it's the apes mm. or whether it's the, 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 you know, the, the astronauts or whether it's the, the old man at the end. Every time we jump in evolution, somebody or something is waking up. And there are a lot of moments in this movie where Bo wakes up and he is in an entirely new set of circumstances. Um, and that every time, you know, sometimes he wakes up, he's on the side of the road. Sometimes he wakes up and he's in the, the doctor in his wife's house. Um, sometimes he wakes up and he's, he's back at his, his mom's home. Every time he wakes up, something is about to drastically change. That reminded me a lot hmm. of 2001 A Space Odyssey when the characters keep waking up and they have their face to face with a jump in evolution. Wow. That's a yeah. That's that's a really interesting comparison. I I wouldn't have thought of that, but I mean, I think Kubrick's just about influenced all, all, all oh, yeah. of my favorite directors, you know, to yeah. some degree, and in, in one way or another, you know. It's and just, I mean, you know, another another movie where people you know came away from it not really liking it, not really getting it. Yep. Um, you know, and like there, you know, we didn't talk about this, but the other thing about Bo's Afraid is it's handsome. Like this, this movie is stunning to look at. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, you I know. mean. All of his movies are. Oh yeah, for sure. You know. Yeah. So I just don't yeah. always. I always feel like, oh, I didn't get emotional, so therefore it's not a great movie. Like to me, like I, that might be my litmus test or something, where it's just like, how moved was I by this, or yeah. how connected did I feel to Bo? Because like, especially early on, I'm like, yeah, I get, I, I, I certainly experienced panic. And you know this, this this world that he's in is is extremely exaggerated, and I've never really had to deal with that level of I, like you confrontation at just, every corner. I think in this movie, it's just that it's so much, right? Like we yeah, are we are so never much. we are never given the chance to process any of it. Like I think if we were living through it, we'd probably get to one of the end of one of these days and just break. But it's like mm-hmm. we don't have time you know, with any of it to really like let it wash over us. So, I mean, maybe one day it will hit. I don't know. And it's strange sometimes the kinds of movies that do hit, but um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it just, it doesn't give us that moment to let it in. Um, But there we go. That is episode 305 of the matinee cast. I am so bloody thankful that James Laskowski was able to to come here, uh, spend mother's day week with me, spend his birthday week with me. So we are coming back on Monday, May 22nd for episode 306. Not sure what we're going to talk about just yet. We might talk about showing up the new Kelly record movie. Uh, There's other shows that are, Oh, Oh, well there we go. So maybe I will. Um, Jim, of course is all over the place. Do you have anything coming up over the next few weeks that people can check out uh, of your, of your creation? Well, Longtime fans of Directors Club will be very happy with my birthday bonus episode, which will be coming out probably close to the same time that this episode's coming out, or it's already out. Uh, it's I don't want to spoil the surprise, but okay. my former co-host Patrick and I disagreed intensely early on in our show hmm. on two specific movies, 
And this is going back maybe 12 years at this point. Right. And right. we haven't revisited those movies. What happens uh, 12 years later when okay. we revisit those movies? Oh, so wow. That, okay. I guarantee it'll be a fun conversation. Can't wait. Guarantee I, it. I cannot wait. Um, and if people want to follow you any on the socials, where, where can they look for you? Oh, I'm everywhere. You know, your usual letterboxed Instagram, Twitter, more or less Jim Laskowski or some variation of that. And I'm sure Very you'll nice. put that in the show notes. I will, because I'm good that way. My site is thematinee.ca. Uh, you can find more episodes and uh, audio content there. You can also find them on Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, uh, other places like Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, Radio Public, CastBox. I am everywhere. Sometimes I go looking for myself on another platform. I'm thinking I'm going to add my show. I'm already there. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Bo is Afraid. For the love of God, bring it. I want to hear it. Um, you can leave it in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca. I'm still around on Twitter where I'm matinee underscore CA. And there's always Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, buddy? Oh, I just want to hear what Kurt Halfyard has to say <laughs> about Bo is Afraid. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to get that man. I need to sit him down for a drink and just keep buying as long as he keeps talking. I, I you know, I, I'm not sure I've got that much money, but uh, I, I, I'm willing to try. Thank you so much, Ryan. This was a blast. As expected. My pleasure. Ah, for Jim, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.